The pendulum effect is the theory that holds that trends in culture and politics and entertainment, they tend to swing back and forth in opposite extremes. And so we've all seen this in the political realm, right? A conservative person is elected, they enact policies, those policies eventually get criticized. Uh, they'll make a mistake because everybody makes a mistake. And then the next election cycle, a progressive will be elected. They'll enact some policies. They'll be criticized by the opposite side. And then it'll swing kind of back. And we've seen this all throughout history. Swing back and forth. And it seems that the more extreme a person or a party is, the, the more extreme the pendulum will swing the other way. And so we see it in politics. We see it in like fashion you know it's why mom jeans are all of a sudden back uh, they swung out of style now they swung back in uh, we see it in music it's why there's boy bands every 15 to 20 years uh, it'll swing out of popularity a new kids on the block then it was in sync and now it's a korean pop band bts and so it's just this weird phenomenon that happens all throughout history well paul's been preaching against a group of false teachers who've infiltrated the Galatian church with a desire to heap the law back onto Christians, the Galatian Christians. They'll say, yeah, Jesus is great, but to be a true child of God, you must adhere to the law. To be made right, you need to be circumcised, you need to eat this way, not this way, you need to do, do, these, do these things, jump through these hoops. We've been ta talking all about this in the first four chapters of Galatians. And for four chapters, Paul has been dismantling this gospel of works, biblically and theologically and historically. We looked at people in the Old Testament. We looked at the example of Abraham. And Paul says, being right with God, and I want you to hear me, being right with God comes through faith and the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. It's not through our works of the law. It's not through any moral system we can come up with either. It's through placing our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul has been swinging their hearts away from legalism, works righteousness, but he doesn't want to swing it too far. He doesn't want their hearts to go too far. Some may conclude that since we've been forgiven, since our, our, our sin has been taken care of, past, present, and future, we can do whatever we want now. If legalism is over here, the temptation would be then to swing the pendulum towards something called licentiousness. You're going to hear that word a lot. Not, what I mean by that is just an unchecked liberty to sin. I can just, you know, I, by grace, if I, my sin's forgiven, why, why not indulge today? Why not jump into sin today? And so driven by this potential swing, Paul shifts his focus in this section to address this false assumption. And so go ahead and turn to Galatians 5. Go ahead and turn to Galatians 5, go to verse 13. And just for a little bit of context here, last week, Paul warned, again, 
against the false teachers who are hindering the Galatians from living in light of the gospel by requiring them to be circumcised. I know it's weird to talk about circumcision in church, but the Bible does, so we're going to talk about it. And, and if you think that's weird, what Paul says next is very weird. Uh, and he's going to challenge them through one of the sickest burns in all of history. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He says, I wish those who equate circumcision with salvation would just go ahead and finish the job. You know, snip, snap. Snip, snap. <laughs> and, and so it's pretty crass by Paul, but he's also pretty serious how he feels about the gospel. He's, do not fall prey to that message. He said last week, because if you, if you decide to hold up circumcision, you're going to have to follow the entirety of the law. Then you're going to be under the curse of the law, something that you cannot fulfill. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, you can put there. God has called you to freedom. He's saying, don't go back. Freedom here is freedom from the Old Testament law as a means of justification. Scholar uh, Thomas Schreiner said, the burden of attempting to be right with God on the basis of one's obedience, i.e. legalism, no longer applies to the believer for they enjoy the freedom of being redeemed from the curse of the law through the work of Jesus Christ. Here, here's our first point. The gospel of freedom, it calls us out of legalism. Paul's talked about that over and over again. Because of Jesus's work on your behalf, you are free from the oppressive belief that you need to impress God with your good works, with your law adherence, with your efforts to become a child of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, because of his work, not yours, because of his work on your behalf, you are a child of God. You may need to hear this this morning. You are a child of God in Christ. Nothing will change that. He loves you today. He's going to love you tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he's going to love you the next day. No, in fact, I know he's going to love you the next day. And he's going to love you the day after that. Even if you mess up, you are now under grace. You are free from the burden of the law. So how do we use that freedom? Look at verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Flesh isn't referring to that which hangs off your bones. It's a term that refers to our fallen sinful natures that are contrary to God's will. It represents our old self, which seeks to satisfy its own desires. So what Paul is saying, you know, don't use your freedom to jump back into sin. Paul has spoken against legalism all throughout this book, the belief that one can satisfy God by adhering to a list of do's and don'ts. Here he warns them against licentiousness. 
the desire to throw off such lists of do's and don'ts and to live just completely driven by our own lusts and passions. It's rejecting any sort of morality and just living by what do I want to do today? And so legalism, here's the crazy part. Legalism and licentiousness aren't all that different. Both are man-centered. Both really have nothing to do. So, so legalism says, man, it's about me. It's about what I can do to impress God. God is a scorekeeper, but I'm the one playing the game. I'm the one running the ball. And if anything good happens, it's because I have earned it. I have worked for it. It is man-centered. Licentiousness is man-centered. It's about doing what I want to do today. Nobody else can tell me what to do. No higher power. It's about me living the life that I want to live. It's about me doing what feels good in the here and now and not giving in to some sort of higher morality. So both are man-centered and both lead to slavery. So the legalist is enslaved to the law. He's under a system he he can't win. The law does nothing but expose our sin and condemn us. It it shows us to be guilty and in need of a savior. Quinn did a good job last week talking about this. He said, it's when you're under the law, you're playing a game you can't win. It's it's like playing one-on-one with my nine-year-old daughter. Uh, She's just not gonna win. It's, it's, uh, it's not going to happen. Um, and as a dad, I'm not going to let her win because I'm going to teach her hard lessons about life. Uh, but you're under this curse. You, you can't do it. You're enslaved to the law. You wake up every morning. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And you always fall short. Well, the licentious man under the banner of Christian freedom, you know, they'll, they'll watch whatever. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll look at porn. They'll drink a lot. They'll sleep with different women. Um, you know, they, they'll, they'll eat their special brownie just to get through the day. Um, but what they don't realize is they're just entering into another different form of slavery. Unchecked liberty will always lead to enslavement. Ask anybody who drinks too much. Ask anybody who regularly sleeps around. Ask anybody who needs their special lettuce to get through the day if they feel like they're free. And more than likely, they'll say no. So legalism, licentiousness, two sides of the same coin. We were in slavery. And the father, through the death of his son, paid the price to free us and to redeem us. Paul is saying Don't misunderstand the idea of freedom by running into another form of slavery. The gospel of freedom, it calls us out of legalism and it calls us away from licentiousness. It calls us away from unchecked liberty, from satisfying the desires of our flesh. Well, what does it call us to? (laughs) What does it call us to? Let's read through verse 13 again. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Here's the big idea. But through love, serve one another. There's a paradox you may not 
see here upon first reading. The actual root word here of, of serve is duleo. It's where we get doulos, the idea of servant, but it can also mean slave. It's where we get the term slave. And so some interpret this passage, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but become slaves of one another in love. Sacrificially serve in love one another. That is a crazy paradox. You're free. You're free. Now go act like a slave. Now go act like a slave to others. Now, before we kind of move on and unpack this, this is not dissimilar to what God has communicated in other parts of Scripture. Paul writes, live as free people. Do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Romans 6, 18 tells us that those who've been set free from sin become slaves of righteousness. You are freed from slavery. You are freed from the burden of keeping up the law into a different type of servitude. And for the rest of this book, For the rest of our time in Galatians, which is going to span another few weeks, Paul's going to make clear that we aren't free to jump back into sin. And we'll mess up, but there's grace. But we're freed into a new way of life altogether. A life indwelt and led by the Spirit that guides us in all that God has called us to do in love. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're freed from trying to live up the law. We're freed from sin's dominating power in our lives. All so that we may, as a loving response to all that God has done for us, become servants and slaves of God who desire to do his will. We are freed to live the life he has called us to. We are freed to live the life he calls us to. The gospel of freedom, it calls us out of legalism, it calls us away from licentiousness, but most importantly, it calls us into loving servitude. It frees us to live like Jesus. Do you think Jesus was free? Do you think Jesus was free? Yeah, I would say Jesus was free, but what did he use that freedom for? To love and serve others. So we're free to live like Jesus, to sacrificially love and serve one another. And so there's just a question. Do you use your freedom as an opportunity to love and serve others? I just want to make a quick footnote here before we move on. Because you may be like, well, this, this seems like a raw sort of deal here, Larry. You know, we put our faith in Jesus, we're freed from this, but now, now we're to act as, as slaves to one another, to God. I just want to make, make a quick point, just, just real quick before we move on. This life of servitude is not drudgery. <laughs> I have felt the most joy, peace, and contentment, not when I'm trying to impress God with my works, not when I'm enslaved to my own natural desires, but when I use my freedom to do the will of God by serving others. The false narrative of Christianity is that it's just a boring buzzkill. It's just, it's, just, it's for nerds who, who don't want to have fun. Uh, it's for people who don't like to live a, a little bit. Uh, you know, you want to experience life. 
Don't take on Christianity as just a bunch of rules and guidelines and do's and don'ts. Uh, uh, but the reality with, with all of that is, is that to me, slavery and servitude to the will of God is all that brings me joy, peace, and contentment in my life. When I'm surrendered to God's will in all areas of my life, when I say, God, you are my king, you are my master, that is when life makes most sense. That is when I experience peace and joy and contentment. When I'm serving at overtime, we have an after-school program here on Sundays, man. I'm teaching these little kids, and throughout the year, they're getting the gospel, and they're starting to put their faith and, and trust. And, and, and man, that, I feel alive when I'm doing that sort of thing. When I get to teach with, with you guys, you know, I, I get excited to do that. When I, when I serve at our upcoming sports camp, man, I, I'm just, I, I love getting to, to do that, to allow God to, to work through me to do that. I love serving in the nursery. I'm somebody like nursery, man. I have a blast serving in the nursery with kids. And you guys are like, go ahead and do that, Larry. Uh, in my place, that's great, man. Uh, when I get to teach my kids about Jesus and I slow down from whatever I'm doing and I listen to God, and say, hey, hey, go talk to your kids about Jesus. Like, go pray with your wife. When I do those things, when I submit to the will of God, when I become a slave, a servant of God, that is when I experience joy, peace, and contentment. And so just in case you're worried that if submitting yourself to the will of the Lord will be boring, no, Jesus came to give life, life in abundance. And that comes when we follow him. Use your freedom to lovingly serve one another. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the neighbor, your, your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus sums up the entirety of the law we see in the gospels with two commands. And what are those two commands? He says, love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. He says the entirety of the law is summed up in these two commands. And if you look at the law, that's true. Everything falls under the umbrella of love God, love other people. You look at the first four Ten Commandments. Don't worship other gods. Don't make for yourself idols. It's all about loving God. If you look at the last six of the Ten Commandments, it's all about loving other people. You know, don't covet, don't lie, don't cheat. Those all are horizontal commands to, to care for and love one another. So we who've been saved by Christ, we're, we're free from the requirements of the law. But the Spirit indwells us and helps us fulfill what the law intended, namely to love God in such a way that we love other people. Now, you're wondering, why doesn't he say one and, and not the other? Because we can't really love others if we don't love God first, if the love of God doesn't overflow in our lives. The Spirit indwells us and helps us to fulfill what the law intended. And in that sense, the law is fulfilled. We are doing what the law intended for us to do, that is love others. Now, love doesn't go around the law. It doesn't violate the law. It, it transcends the law. It's also why we don't throw out the entirety of the Old Testament. I've heard pastors preach that. It just doesn't, it's not relevant anymore. You know, we're just, we're just New Testament Christians. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian who, who believes in the entire counsel of God's word. And so, yeah, there are things we don't do in the Old Testament. We don't partake in the sacrificial system because of Jesus Christ. 
We don't uphold the purity laws because of the work of Jesus Christ and we taught in the New Testament. But there's a lot that we find in the Old Testament about who God is, how he treats his people, and how he wants to treat us that we do pick up. Not to earn salvation, but the Spirit indwells us and moves us to do that which God commands. We're guided by the Spirit to obey with love, being the heart and soul of our ethic. When we love others, we fulfill the law. And if we don't, look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. It's kind of an interesting little footnote here. This is just if if we decide not to. (laughs) You know, we love and serve one another in love, or we can just, you know, destroy each other. You know, Paul uses some, some vivid imagery here. It'd probably make you think of like wild dogs tearing and ripping at each other. I lived in a rough part of Topeka, Kansas in, in college, and I remember hearing dog fights in the neighborhood over. And it was the most disturbing, violent sound I had ever heard. And now I'm like, well, it kind of sounds like some Christians I know. And, and so that's uh, I, I, a... Sad, but it, it's somewhat true. We bite and devour one another. Those who love give life. Those who live by the flesh for their own desires to be met, they will sow conflict and bitterness. They criticize, they gossip and destroy. If we don't freely love in servitude one another, this church will fail. Any church will fall apart. When people start to backbite, when people turn on each other, when people in the trenches who are fighting shoulder to shoulder point the guns at one another, that church will fail. And and I love this church. I love this church. Not because I'm the pastor of this church. uh, Not because I've worked hard on it. It's because God loves this church. God loves this church. God loves you individually and collectively as Central Bible Church. And year by year, brick by brick, by God's grace, he will build this thing and the love for one another. It's gonna be the mortar that he uses as he he lays the bricks that will make this church strong. Love and serve one another. The gospel, it calls us out of legalism. It moves us away from licentiousness and it opens us up to freely love and serve one another. And you can't do that if you're a Christian ninja. You're like, what are you talking about, grown man? <laughs> they're, they're, they're Christian ninja. They're, they're people who sneak into church and sneak out. You know, they kind of they come in unseen, unheard, unengaged. And they, 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 you know, you're worshiping one second, you turn and there's some dude you never met sitting right there. Like, how did you get here? <laughs> and then when the service is over, and, I, and maybe when I'm doing announcements, they, they grab a smoke bomb and they throw it on the ground. And the smoke clears and they disappear. And you're like, was that person even real? <laughs> Christian ninjas, man. Don't be a Christian ninja. You can't live out this life just coming and going, 
never connecting, never committing. You know, this, this call is important. We believe serving one another is a vital part of living out our freedom and God's will for us as a community. And I want you to serve in your home. I want you to lovingly serve your partner, your family at home as an individual. I want you to lovingly serve your coworkers. It's Christ-like and God wants that for you. But in this passage, Paul is talking to a church. He's not just talking to you as an individual. He's essentially saying, look at the person next to you and use your freedom to serve them in love. Use your freedom to serve one another in this room in love. Do it, do it informally. You know, invite somebody over for dinner and, and, you know, pay for everything and just say, hey, man, we want to treat you guys. We love you guys. You know, help them move. Uh, don't invite me, but help them move. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, watch their kids if, if they need a date night. You know, we had a good friend come over yesterday and help us fix our car. We would have been out hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Like, do those sort of things informally. Bake your pastor some cookies, man. Come on. <laughs> Inform. Don't do that. Do not do that because I'm trying to eat well. I'll die. Bring over some celery. <laughs> some light ranch. Um, <laughs> And then do it, do it formally as a church collectively here on Sunday mornings. I'm up here every few weeks. Quinn's up here every few weeks and we're saying, man, we, we need help. There's a lot of people in this room, but there are just as many people up there and the kids in the nursery. We have been blessed, blessed with kids at this church. And week after week we say, man, we need, we need people to serve. We've had people serving for a year and a half almost every other week in, in the nursery. Uh, they're tired. They need your help. They're not going to quit, hopefully. And uh, <laughs> they need a break. Um, and, and we need help greeting people. We need help checking people. And we need help. All, this doesn't just magically appear when we snap our fingers. we got guys getting here at 8 in the morning, women coming here at 8 in the morning to set up curtains, TVs, and everything. We need, we need, we need help. And we need help with people to step up and love and serve one another. So if you're sitting in this church and you're kind of hearing a message and you're worshiping, you're being served right now. You're being served right now. And, and, and I may do those announcements and you may be going, he's not talking to me. He's not talking to me. Now, I'm not going to make any direct eye contact with anybody as I say this. So I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm talking to you. Church is a place to come, to worship, to hear God's word, to be encouraged, to be loved, to be cared for, to be served. But it's also a place for you to commit to. It's also a place for you to walk into and say, how do I with the freedom that has been accomplished for me through the work of Jesus Christ, live my life by loving and serving others in a way that fulfills the command to love and serve others. Amen? Let's pray.